All righty. Well, why don't we go ahead and come back together and start preparing ourselves to hear the word of God as we come out of a time of prayer. And I can honestly tell you that it's a weird situation to be sitting on this end of a camera not knowing what's going on on the other end, not knowing what reactions will be, who's plugged in and listening, who's not, whether it's the first time and you're a guest and you've never experienced worship with us before. Um, I wanna make a note, we were hoping to have a, a live music worship with this day of worship. However, with the newer uh, guidelines and uh, recommendations of any unnecessary contact coming together, uh, we decided not to bring our worship team in together since several of them are in the medical field and um, may have been exposed and don't even know it yet, so we didn't want to increase that risk as we go through. And, uh, and so uh, hopefully as time goes, we'll be able to give some resources on having worship and music at home and uh, give you those opportunities to, uh, before the sermon, still open your hearts and voice and song and lift up a joyful noise. Now, we are today going to be in John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Now, last week we talked a little bit about how the love of God and us loving God opens a door. So I want to chart that a little bit. I want to give you a course of where that moves us to so that today's sermon makes a little bit more sense. And that starts in John 3.16. So if you go to John 3.16, and I'll read it for you. It says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him, meaning Jesus Christ. Now, we know that God is a God who loves his creation. We see that in Genesis chapter one that after everything that he creates each of the days, he takes a look at it and declares it good. In other words, to find it in his righteousness, to find it in his holiness, and that he loves it fully and completely. And so when we read that God loves the world in this way, that he sends his son to die for it so that eternal life may be had, Uh, through it all, this is the first sign of God's love to the world. But this is a general love. This is a love over all of creation. And so we need to narrow that down a little bit to start understanding what it means to be in a direct relationship with Jesus Christ, what it means to be in a direct relationship with God. And we find that in John chapter 14. And that's where we've been for the last three weeks. And so I just want to highlight a few of those points. John uh, 14, chapter, or verse 21 reads, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. So while God has a general love for his creation, here Jesus is teaching us that God wants us to love him and that in our love, he returns love directly with us. That that concept of a relational aspect of our love for each other. And in that, he gives us this wonderful promise. He gives us the promise that the Father and Jesus will dwell with us amongst that love. 
Now, John 14, verse 23 kind of expands that. And he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So in this concept of when we choose to love God, when we choose to be in relationship with God, he is in relationship with us, and he is with us. And in fact, not even are they just with us, but they make their home with us. They dwell with us. And so this is a powerful concept of the love of God that we've been working on and trying to understand. But what does that mean for us, that we have the love of God? And that's where we are today in verse 27. So if you're at home, I'm gonna ask for you to stand with us as we read God's word. It's something that we do here in person, and I don't want us to lose that. So please stand in reverence to the word of God as I read it. In verse 27, it begins, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. And don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you I am going away and I am coming to you. And if you love me and would rejoice that I am going, or excuse me, if you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer, because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. And on the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. Now get up, let's leave this place. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to your word to receive your peace, to know your promises, to understand your truths. And so, Lord God, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds, that they may fill, be filled with your holy word, that our soul may have peace. For God, you are the center of all peace in this world. Lord, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. So if you are standing, please have a seat. So the very first word that is in this section of scripture in verse 27 is peace, the peace I leave with you. This is Jesus Christ speaking to his his disciples, those inside his uh, close-knit group, those who will be with him in the final days and then will actually be the catalyst that starts what we now have in the 21st century of Christianity. But this first first word, peace, actually comes from an old Hebrew word called shalom. Um, the, the Greek word is irene, is the Greek, trans, or the Greek word that's translated into peace. And what it means is to be, uh, have a sense of completeness, of soundness, of well-being, to be in harmony or have tranquility. See, the word peace We all too often think of like peace between countries or peace between people where there isn't a harshness or um, a fighting going on, but what peace really is, is this inner sense of well-being that dwells deep inside of us, down to our very soul, the very essence of who we are and what makes us what we are. And so when we talk about this and when Jesus uses this word, he is invoking the sense of completeness 
in a person or in a group of people, um, a, a sense of soundness, of sureness amongst them, a sense of well-being that they are to have because of what is to come, a sense of harmony to dwell together amongst this knowledge and transformational information he's giving us, a, a sense of tranquility to conduct life through. See, he's understanding the fullness of this word, peace, and he says, peace I leave with you. And then he identifies what peace that is. He says, my peace I give to you. So in other words, only the peace that Jesus Christ can bring, only the peace, the the completeness, the tranquility, the harmony that Christ himself can bring is what he's talking about here. And he says, I do not give it as the world gives it. So in other words, the peace he gives in the way or the manner that he gives is different than the peace the world can give us. And so let's take a second and talk a little bit about that. See, Jesus Christ is about to go to the cross. He's about to die and and be resurrected and and return to the heavens. He's about to take on the fullness of his crown, right? This concept of everlasting life and being the ruler of the kingdom to come. He knows the fullness of what he's talking about. He understands the ramifications of what his actions will bring and the feat of sin and death that it will uh, help wait, or bring into the world through God's love. And so what he's saying is, is the, wor- the peace I'm about to give you is not ending. Now the world's peace is not so much. We can only count, as many of us have really realized this last week, how fickle the world is in, in difficult times. And this is a hard thing to talk about right now because I know there's a lot of emotion that's wrapped up in the last week. Some of you may have lost your employment until this is over. Some of you may not have income coming in. Some of you may have gone to the store to get essentials and not been able to find them. There are people who are in dire need of the very basic items that they need week in and week out because of the shortages that are showing up in, the, in a lot of the stores throughout the United States. And so this brings a sense of brokenness into our world, right? And that's what the world has to provide for us. But Jesus' peace comes to something very different because it comes from a very different place. See, Jesus' peace comes from the everlasting kingdom, the kingdom of God, and it is irrevocable. We can't pull it away, we can't take it away because we have no power to do so, and whatever happens in the world around us doesn't matter because we still have the peace knowing that we are in the kingdom of God because of the promises that have been given already. See, in John 3.16, we're told that everybody who believes in Jesus Christ will have everlasting life. And then in John 14, as we've been working through it the last three weeks, we've had the ability to understand that when God's love meets us and we choose to love him back, not only do we receive that everlasting life, but we receive the presence of Jesus and the Father in our lives, the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. See, this is the peace that only Jesus can bring about. And we have to understand that only Christ can bring about a peace that brings out a fullness, a completeness of soul, a soundness of, of our, our, our core and who we are, a well-being that radiates out from us. See, when we love God, The peace we receive brings a harmony between us and Jesus Christ. It brings a harmony between the kingdom of God and where we are here in the world. 
And through that, we now have a tranquil spirit, an ability to be calm during the, during the storm. See, when we go into the word of God, when we start understanding it deeper and deeper, we start actually understanding the magnitude of what it means to be in relationship with a loving God, with a God who loves us so much that he would go to a cross, right? And this sounds like a repetitive statement, but Christians, we need to understand this because this is the true hope that we make it through the tough storms on. This is the very essence of what we are to share with the world around us. And while we may have to repeat it to ourselves, it's because we need to be reminded because we lose our hope. We lose our, our place in the world as the world bombards us and we forget that we're not of this world and we step down into it. And then we become anxious and uptight about things. We become greedy. We become all those things that we see and we complain about in the world around us because we lose the very hope of what the word of God has given us here. We lose our, our fullness and our well-being. We lose our harmony with the Holy Spirit because we send it on its way because we don't want to listen to it anymore. We want to get what we want. We lose hope knowing that God will provide the needs that we have as all too often he proves himself over and over amongst us. And so when Jesus gives us this command that he will give us this peace, we need to hold on to it and we need to keep it deep in our heart and we need to remind ourselves of it on a regular basis because this is the essence that shows the world around us that we are different than the rest of the world. Instead of taking that extra, or that extra pack of, of toilet paper, helping the person lift it off the shelf and put it in their basket instead, instead of taking the last package of noodles when you already have two other packages of noodles, giving up that extra package of noodles for someone else. It's when you find out that a neighbor needs some help, you find a way to help them out. See, that's the love that flows through us. That's God's love working through us into the world. And that's what makes us different and that's what draws people to God. See, the peace that Jesus gives us impacts us and changes us. And it changes us to a place of completeness and fullness, of harmony and tranquility. But we have to allow it to work upon us. We have to submit to that. See, and the interesting thing is, we're not the only ones who show submission. Jesus himself did. If we move on, we continue reading. The one who does, oh, excuse me, wrong paragraph. You have heard me tell you I am going away and I am coming to you. And if you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. So verse 28 has that very um, authoritative concept of, of positioning in the Godhead. And it's created a lot of conflict in the church over the years. A lot of people argue about what it means that Christ himself says, listen, the Father is greater than I and that I go to the Father. And people sit there and say that it creates an order within the Trinity, that the God the Father is more powerful and, and larger than God the Son, Jesus Christ, and, and that they're both more important than the Holy Spirit. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying here. See, if we only cherry pick this out and we only take this particular verse out, then that's what we're dealing with, is the fact that we have to take this one verse. But across all of Scripture, we see that Jesus time and time again relates himself as being an equal with the Father, that the Father is in him and he is in the Father, that the Father has given him the authority 
to command all things, right? So this concept has to be wrapped around the whole of scripture, not just a single verse. And when we look at it that way, we see that this isn't Jesus saying they're saying that the Father's greater than me, but what it's saying is that I am a God who can command, and I'm also a God who's obedient to my command. And so what we have is a God who is commanding and obedient at the same time, which gives us a little sense of hope and let me explain that to you. See, if I have a God who is commanding and gives all sorts of commands but he's not obedient to his own command, that means he's a God who changes his mind and changes things all the time. And so what might work one day won't work the next day. Or what he might say here might be true at this particular moment but it's not true down the line. And that's not at all what we see in scripture but what we see is we have a God who gives a command. And then in Jesus Christ, we see a God who's willing to be obedient to his own command. Even though he could choose to change it, he has every authority and every ability to do so, he chooses to be obedient to his authority through the Son. To glorify the Father before all things and to walk faithfully and obediently towards the cross so that we, we as human beings can receive the love of God, that we can be made whole again through the blood of Christ and that we may be redeemed as children of God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so it's a powerful thing to understand that we have a God who, while is commanding, is also obedient to his own command because that means we have an unchanging God, a God who is what he has always been and will always be. And so when we hear his promises and we put our hope in his promises, we know that our hope is well-placed. Why? Because it's an unchanging promise. Because we have a God who is obedient to his own teachings. He continues on. He says, I have told you now before it happens so that when it doesn't happen, you may believe. So what he's giving us is a hint that, hey, I'm giving you a heads up so when this comes to fruition, when when this all comes to light and you can understand in fullness, you can believe what I've told you now to be true, right? So that we have Jesus reminding the disciples that in and amongst their belief of Jesus Christ, they can trust in the promises that he is giving them. It's an important understanding that we as believers 2,000 years later have to remind ourselves that we can trust the promises that Christ gave because they're everlasting. They don't have a cutoff date until he returns, from the, or returns and creates his kingdom. And so we can have hope that the promises of God to his disciples are the promises he gives to all believers. He says, I will not talk much longer because the ruler of this world is coming and he has no power over me. This is an important lesson that we need to understand. See, all throughout chapter John, we're, we're explained how our love for God unites us in a personal, relational aspect to the point where they dwell with us, right? The, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit come and dwell amongst us. Here, Jesus is reminding us that Satan has no power over him. And see, when we are, Jesus is, when we love God and we are in the presence of God and he sits with us and dwells amongst us, there's nothing that Satan can do to have power over us. And I can give you a litany test on this. When you've found yourself in deeper struggles after becoming a believer, I want you to seriously ask yourself the question, when does that normally happen? Does that happen when you're 
in, in the midst of things and everything's going well, or is it in those periods when you are having a struggle and you have tried to do things your way through your means by your strength? See, I can speak from personal experience. I know that when I push my relationship with God away and I try to do things my way or by my method or by my strength, that's usually when I find myself in the worst position. But when I continue my relationship with God, when I share that love that he shares with us through Jesus Christ, and I find myself going and seeking his wisdom and doing things in the manner that he instructs, well then, that tends to be when I have the least amount of stress in my life, when my life is at most in harmony with those things that are going on. And even though I might be in a time of trial, I have a sense of completeness and fullness within my own being because I know that what I'm doing is what God is willing me to do. See, when I'm walking with God, Satan can't input and can't talk against me as much because why? Because my voice is, or my ear is turned to God's voice. And my voice is towards God and petition through prayer versus asking for the world to make things easier. And he says all this in verse 31. He sums it up. He says, on the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me, right? So he goes back to understanding, like, because I want the whole world to know that there's love between me and the Father, this deep relationship between the Father and Son of the Trinity, I want them to understand this, so therefore I'm going to follow what the Father has commanded me to do. I'm going to willfully walk, and this is the last moments before they get up from there. We see that and get up, let's leave this place, and then they move into some discourse and move towards the garden for the final moments of Christ before he's put to the cross, But what he's saying is, because I love, I follow the commands. And so that's a lesson to us that because we love Christ, we should follow his commands. So what? So that the glory of God may be known and that all may know the love that is shared amongst all of us, right? This is that concept going back to what we were just talking about a little bit higher up or uh, before in the scriptures is the fact that like, We show our alliance with Jesus Christ when we follow his commands and that looks different to the world and the world sees it and wants to see what it means to be part of it. See, when we follow God's commands, the hope of us, or the hope of that flows through us. And we end up finding ourselves in a place where we no longer are just walking with God and in the presence of God, but that we're actually on display for the world to see what God is doing in this world. See, all too often, we're really good about taking credit for ourselves or just not even giving any credit to where it's due. And the rest of the world doesn't understand it. They don't know God, they don't love him, and they're not in a dwelling place with him. And so what we find is that the rest of the world sees good being done, but they see it being done by all sorts of different people, and they have no way of attributing it to where it belongs. And so there's no purpose or direction for them to move towards that good that they see all around. And so they seek it through different ways that they think they can find it. But when we follow the command of Jesus Christ and we glorify God in everything that we do, we glorify the Father in all that we do, then there's never ever a question on anybody's mind around us where that good is coming from and they can move with purpose towards that good. We have every day the ability to love God. That's our choice. 
Every day we get to enter into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to come before them and love them in a way that brings us an alignment with them, that brings us into their presence. And see, when we do that, when we love in that manner, we bring ourselves to a place of submission to follow the commands that they give. And when we follow the commands that they give, and we do as God's will calls us and beckons us to do, then the whole world around us will see the love God has for it. And it no longer becomes just a single verse in John chapter three about how much God loves the world. It becomes an everyday impact in people's lives around us that they start to understand and feel the depth of God's love in their lives through his body, the church. Our last slide says, Jesus' peace is one of completeness, rooted in harmony and tranquility. It is given through love and is lasting and in the end is the key to defeating Satan and his plans. I want you to think about that. The very peace that God gives us is the very key that opens the door to defeating Satan in our lives. When we choose to love God fully and be in deep relationship with him, Satan can no longer be present and impactful. Why? Because we are in the presence of God. Church, we have a time before us that is unprecedented in our recent memories. It's been a hundred years since we've met circumstances that are going to shut us up like it, into our homes like it is now. But that doesn't mean that we still can't glorify a God who loves us and cares for us enough to be obedient and walk to the cross. It doesn't take away the ability for us to help our fellow brothers and sisters, whether they are believer or not. It doesn't mean that we cannot share the love of Christ in and amongst our communities. I heard a, or I shouldn't say heard, I read a statement that I wonder how true it might be that today with everybody going online, that this may be the day that the gospel is heard more across the world than anywhere else if the church takes the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation. Just think if every believer went online for a moment and confessed their faith in Jesus Christ and talked about the hope that the love of Christ and their love for Christ brings into their life every day. How many people across this world who are all turning to their phones or to their TVs every day because they don't have the social interaction that they're used to seeking that connection. We talk about how this may crush the church because we won't meet anymore, but the fact is, is the church isn't this building. And while I know that this building isn't full of people right now, I know there is a church here in Portage that is worshiping and praising God with all of their heart, mind, body, and soul. I know that they have a heart to bring God's love to the community that surrounds them. And I know that they have a heart to glorify the Father as Christ glorified the Father. And so I'm going to encourage each and every one of you to take an opportunity to share the hope that you have deep inside of you through the love of Jesus Christ and share with a person whether it's a neighbor, just via phone, who's having a difficult time, whether it's an employer or an employee that's struggling because of the times, 
whether it's someone you've never met before, but because you've entered into a new chat group on Facebook or Instagram or anything that's out there who's just having a difficult day. Church, we are given an opportunity with this to rock the world in a way that it has never been done before. Let's not miss that opportunity to share the gospel with those people around us, to bring hope to a world that right now is really struggling to have hope amongst itself. For Jesus Christ brings a peace that only he can bring and that the world can never, ever duplicate. Church, I thank you for joining us. For all of our guests and people who have never partaken in River of Life's worship time before, I want to say thank you for joining us. Take this word to heart and let God's love multiply in you throughout this community so that the peace of Jesus Christ can raise us up out of the darkness and bring us into the light. Amen, and have a wonderful week. God bless, be safe, and keep your distance. Bye.